Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole and OU Football Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie. This week, it's the Three Musketeers. Matt Burton was not able to join us. He has a birthday party he's going to for, I believe, his father, his grandfather. He's celebrating his elders. But the Three Musketeers with us today, one for all, all for one. We have Brady, we have Allen, and again, myself, Peyton Guthrie. We'll be breaking down Oklahoma football week four and week five, as well as a wide topic of college football narratives uh, during this hour, hour and a half. But before we jump into that, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Vanessa House for being our title sponsor. Go check them out in Oklahoma City uh, before the game, after the game, during the game, if you don't want to be at the game. Uh, Also, shout out to Scratch Kitchen and Cocktail down in Norman. They do have a cool little speakeasy Brady and I went to once. You can fit like five people in there, but it's cool to go then check it out. And also Spirit Shop in Norman. If you're tailgating, if you're watching at home, supplies are getting low, give them a call. They deliver. Have fun. One more shout out. All the patrons who uh, patrons who uh, you know comment and or, you know when we ask questions or give uh, score predictions, thank you guys so much. Uh, you know Matt Davis, Grayson, you guys are always on top of that, always shouting out for that. We appreciate it so so much. If you want to join in that type of community, hit us up over at Patreon.com/slash through the keyhole. I don't know why I said hit us up at for like a YouTube blogger all of a sudden. Uh, but you anyway, can, you, can, you can hit us up too. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. hit us smash up. Yeah, that. Jump in the smash the likes. Smash yeah. the like. Ring the bell. Yeah, ring the bell. Smash the likes. Do the thing. Got um, you. Yeah, we, we got you. Uh, Keelsports at uh, gmail.com if you want to scream at us. Uh, anyway, let's jump into this. Uh, I was not able to go to the no cap recap on some uh, scheduling snafus. I was in Oklahoma City, but Monday morning I had to wake up very early to uh, film a. Uh, 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 a regular day job piece of Barry Switzer. During that filming, I was able to get the Keyhole Pickums winner's prize, which will be an Oklahoma mini football signed by the King, Barry Switzer. Told you guys we'd be able to get a good prize, and that's a good one. Uh, but let's recap it real fast. Uh, Alan, you and I were not able to be part of the no-cap recap, so let's jump on you first, Alan. Cincinnati, Oklahoma, what, what were your overall thoughts on that? Oh, you know, I wrote a post for our supporters there on Patreon about it. You know, I mean, and you know, offensively, I think that everybody's just still has the same kind of questions about where this is all headed. Um, you know, part of the issue being the the running back rotation still just seems so strange. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, <laughs> Brady and uh, Matt both. Uh, ranted about this uh, on the recap show, you know, so there's no need to kind of go over that. Um, one of the things that I did also notice, though, and I think that, you know, Brady actually spoke to it really well, 
is, I mean, he thinks that, you know, at some point Dylan Gabriel is going to get pulled for Jackson Arnold uh, due to what is actually, I, I would say, main, mainly the fact that Gabriel's just kind of small <laughs> and he yeah. doesn't see well um, down the field, you know, when he's getting uh, pressured internally or in the on the interior. And that's, I think that there's something to that, honestly. Um, and it's, it's not, again, it's not a thing where Gabriel's necessarily bad or whatever, but I mean, you know, every quarterback, you know, people always talk about, oh, well, so-and-so quarterback isn't good under pressure or isn't good with pressure kind of the middle. And the truth is no quarterback is right, but it's going to bother some of them differently based on how well they're able to see the field. And the fact that Gabriel is small, I think that that, definitely kind of plays a part in a lot of the kind of misfires or miscues we're seeing. And it, it, it just makes me think at some point this year, that change might need to happen. Yeah. The thing, I mean, I haven't had a chance to do a post or, or, or write up about this game. The, the thing that really bothers me the most about this team is the offense just seems so, so disjointed. It, it, it doesn't seem to be able to get early down success or second down success. But one thing I am very appreciative of and will, I, I guess, you know, give some kudos to the offensive uh, team uh, levy and the staff is that they seem to be able to, if it's a third and long, they can just figure out how to convert. You know, and it doesn't, they don't do it all the time, but their conversion rate on third and longs is, I mean, last year it was like, what, like 10%. I mean, obviously I'm, 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 you know, overthinking it, but they, they had a very, very low, low, low conversion rate rate last year uh, on third downs. But this year they seem to almost always pick it up by like 50% or something like that. And that, that's something that's just, quite amazing in my mind that OU is able to get themselves in the issue and then go from there. That said, early down success rates are usually more predictable and more predictable for continued success. Uh, and that's something I'm going to look at because I, I tweeted something, I retweeted something that's basically like, if you're relying on yourself to pick up five first downs, uh, uh, you know, across five different series or something like that, it, you end up having like a, a seven seven percent chance of like scoring multiple times or something. So it's like you can't keep putting yourself in those positions, and oh, you keeps doing that. And um, I, I'm gonna try to break it down as best I can on the film review for Wednesday when OU came out in the second half and switched from a zone blocking scheme to more of a gap power pulling scheme on the offensive line, and all of a sudden the running game white just completely opened up. I'm not really for sure why that is. I mean, Oklahoma's offensive linemen seem to be more suited for zone blocking. There are not a lot of like road graders that what you would you know think about for for pulling and for power. But the team just seems to do better that way. Maybe it's because you know Beaton Bow is just a power offensive line coach. <laughs> He's just not. I mean, maybe it's just the trans. It's not translating as well as zone. Uh, so I'm not for sure on that part of it. But to speak to the Dylan Gabriel stuff, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm taking a lot of oxygen because I'm gonna kick it over to Brady. Uh, that's a scene like his body was just willing him to lose that football game. <laughs> you know, last year, it would have been fine. Uh, I mean, last year, you would have lost that game because the defense wouldn't have been able to, you know, sustain themselves in the way that they did. And when I say like he was trying to lose the game, it, it's kind of like when we used to watch Landry Jones. It's like, you know, OU's down 10. They're making a charge like, well, here, here comes the pick. You know, it's like you can kind of like tell. College football seems very narrative-based almost, and it kind of moves that way. Uh, but OU was able to overcome that and again, wins a game they would have quote unquote lost last year. So that is progress, but I mean, I don't know. OU still hasn't played anybody, I guess. I mean, Brady, you want to give us like a small little recap from the no cap recap? That's a lot of recaps. 
Yeah, like I'll reiterate, I I'm a Dylan Gabriel fan. Like I said, some of, I, I said a lot of this on the No Cap Recap. You can find that on Patreon.com. Um, I'm a Dylan Gabriel fan, and I don't. I'm not one of these people that is like chomping at the bit to see Jackson Arnold. Like I I love the future and potential of Jackson Arnold. I can recognize that he's probably a better passer of the football than Dylan Gabriel is, but I'm going to bank on Dylan Gabriel's experience. And I just think that Dylan's kind of a tough son of a bitch where he, if he makes mistakes and he, you know, has, and will make more mistakes, it doesn't typically snowball for him in, in a manner that it would for like a Landry Jones or a Trevor Knight, um, like other quarterbacks from the past where one bad thing kind of leads to another, like Dylan goes out there with the right mindset. He goes out there with the, a very physical uh, mindset but I mean, like Alan kind of mentioned from my little rant, I mean, there are just some pragmatic flaws with him. He's shorter than I am. And so when you have an NFL defensive lineman um, either beating his man and chasing after you, that's going to affect how you play. Or if you just have the NFL defensive lineman pushing the center or the left guard right into your face and you're not that tall, it's going to affect how you see the field and how you're trying to you know, the running clock in your head of when the ball is supposed to be out of your hand, it's going to affect you. And a lot of the, a lot of that kind of thought of me saying, like, I think at some point he's going to get benched this season. Um, also dealt with what I saw because I was at, the, I was at the game mm -hmm. in Cincinnati, what I saw of him on the sideline and how he was acting. And I, I could understand being frustrated because we were all frustrated. So I like that out of him, but that, that thought is more of if we have another game where you know, let, let's just the easiest example would be Texas. Um, if yeah. he basically starts out like Spencer Rattler did in 2021, I could see a similar situation where Brent Venables and Jeff Levy go, Hey, the defense is still keeping us in it, but I don't know how much longer that can last. And it's 17 to three or it's 21 to six or something like that. We need a spark. And they look at Dylan and say, sorry, big guy, you don't have it today. You're not losing your job. He's not going to be the starter, you know, unless he just Caleb Williams is it you know, into glory, um, barring that, like we need something. So maybe, maybe like a better situation would be 2020 Spencer Rattler, where he got benched against Texas for Tanner Mordecai, who just kind of steadied the offense and didn't turn the ball over Yeah, and led the team, like led the team long enough to get to halftime so that they could regroup. And Spencer then came back out and played probably his best performance as a sooner quarterback was the second half against an uh, overtime against Texas. So I think that that could potentially happen because if we just kind of assume some of the same things will happen from last year, well, Dylan's going to have two more games, kind of like the Cincinnati performance where he's going to admit his misses are going to be very loud. Matt said that that was a very good description. His misses against Cincinnati were very mm -hmm. loud because there were only three to five truly bad plays Dylan made, but they, in a game where the offense was not capitalizing off of their opportunities, that the defense gave to them. Those are very loud misses. And you look at your quarterback with all that experience and the leadership that he possesses to make those plays instead. But um, again, I'm not calling for Dylan Gabriel to get benched. I don't want him to. And like I said, on the no cap recap, that even has more, like I even think that more so for Dylan's personal success than I want OU to succeed as a team. Cause obviously I'm an OU fan, but um, Texas is going to bring pressure up the middle. Iowa state is going to try to bring pressure up the middle. And if you look at Peyton's fancy graphic, we put on, uh, social media earlier, according to S and P plus, like Iowa state's defense is no slouch and they're technically going to be the second best defense. OU faces all year. Um, so 
all those same problems that Cincinnati presented to the offense and Dylan Gabriel, they're there for Iowa State and Texas and everybody else to see. And so it's going to be on the offensive line to make sure that they're not getting beat as consistently as they were early against Cincinnati. It's going to be up to the running backs to be what we assume that they would be because Peyton, what you were talking about, early success downs. I know Levy likes to pass on first down a lot, but when you go into the season thinking you're going to have Gavin Sawchuck from the Cheez-It Bowl and Javante yeah. Barnes from the Cheez-It Bowl, you're not going to pass as much on the early downs. You're going to hand it off to your workhorse running back to make it second and six, second and five, and that hasn't happened yet. That's not Dylan Gabriel's fault, so it's a team sport. It's not all on Dylan Gabriel, so I would like to see more out of the running back room to ease the burden of Dylan Gabriel because I think going into the season, we all assumed that he would perform better because the running backs were going to make his job easier, and that just hasn't been the uh, that hasn't been the case as of yet. And I know a lot of people will point to just the insane efficiency numbers Dylan Gabriel is posting. I mean, he is posting some very high efficiency numbers, very high completion percentages, things of all that nature. I would argue to say this system, though, produces quarterbacks that can do that. <laughs> I mean, it is a it is a QB centric, uh, you know, system which allows you to be that way, especially when Levy system is. And I want to speak very, very vaguely and in generalities, then we'll move on. The system is built to go where the defense isn't. And I've said this a lot. So if the defense is showing a seven-man box, you're going to pass because you have numbers. If the defense is showing a six-man box, you're going to run because you have the numbers. It's it's very reactionary that way. That's how a lot of the bear rate is. It's run to numbers, pass to numbers. I mean, run away from numbers, pass away from numbers. And if the, the defense knows you're going to do that, then they can kind of control the pace of the game, which I believe, and this is just me being very, very dumb dumb person about it i believe that's why the ou offense does seem somewhat disjointed is because they're not dictating the rhythm in which they want to play they're playing you know they're trying to play counter punch every play uh instead of setting up you know body blows to go for a knockup you know if you're going to keep using the pugilism um uh, comparisons at, at that point in time. Um, if you're always trying to do the perfect counterplay, it be, kind of becomes kind of like the, you know, the Josh Heupel meerkat type of stuff where it's like, no, just play a productive play over and over again. It doesn't have to be the perfect play, you know, just be productive, have success on some of these early downs. Um, but as, you know, Alan mentioned, Texas over Alabama, those first down plays are starting to becoming shot plays <laughs> kind of across college football. You know, the good offenses, they're going downfield on first down um, because the best thing to, the best thing to do about not being in third down positions where you have to convert is to never be in third down. <laughs> and the way to do that is pick up 10, 12 yards on first down. So that's, that's something we're seeing more and more. The better offenses are trying to push the ball downfield uh, early and often. Um, that is just and what they're, what they're also not doing and it's something that Gabriel, to his credit, has been really good about this year is they're mm -hmm. not taking negative plays on first down. You know, there was this clip circulating today that everybody kind of latched onto with Brent Venables using some advanced numbers. Uh, I believe his EPA he was referencing, talking about how the importance of first down. And, you know, I kind of worry sometimes when coaches start, you know, uh, using those kinds of numbers because it's easy to take kind of the wrong lesson there. But I think that, the coaching point that I would take away from that is if you lose yards on first down, you are dead. Like that, it, it, that's, that's more, I think the, uh, the main point to me is, you know, at, you know, you want to gain yardage obviously, but just don't lose any. Yeah. I, I remember there's an old stat. Uh, it's basically like at any point in time, if there's a false start in the drive, 
it's like 90% chance it's going to end in a punt. It's just because you, you, you're just first and 15. You know, it's just, it's, it's just impossible to a certain degree at that point in time. Uh, but let's move on to the rest of the college football. Uh, Alan, I didn't watch a single down of this game because I knew it was going to be a complete blowout. So did the so did the other 10 million people who watched this game, the highest rated game uh, last week. Uh, Oregon, Colorado, you picked this game. Um, my assumption is because it's uh, Oregon's the real deal. Well, yeah, and I mean, just it was a case where, you know, all the stuff that Colorado hadn't, you know, really had to pay for coming up into this game kind of came due. I mean, you know, there's all this stuff this week about Dan Lanning and his ability to uh, motivate his team and all that stuff. And I mean, like, I know that that is the kind of thing that sports writers and talking heads love because it's got that visceral, like cinematic aspect to it, but give me a break, man. Like this was just a matter of one team having a lot better players running over a team (laughs) that did not have them. Yeah. Uh, And you know, Colorado did its best, but you know, I mean, it didn't matter. Travis Hunter played whatever it would not have, it would not made a difference here physically they were just so overmatched and uh, you know, it's kind of a harbinger of things to come. I think for the Buffaloes, the rest of the way. Yeah. That's something I thought was very interesting. I, I saw the clip of Keyshawn Johnson saying other coaches helped Dan Lanning uh, game plan <laughs> for Colorado. It's like, yeah. Hand yeah, off right. Hand off left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, like, is this a weird thought? Just, I, I, I'm going to acknowledge that it's a weird thought. Cause it's just one video clip. When I saw that little pregame speech by Dan Lanning, I kind of just watched it and thought, you know, Brent says some odd things, but they're kind of, they sound different when it comes from a 50-year-old man, and especially a 50-year-old man who has had a ton of success at multiple institutions throughout a long career. But I watched that clip, and I kind of remembered, yeah, Dan Lanning was on the short list of at least OU fans for the Mm -hmm. next head coaching job. And I watched that, and I'm like, you know, Maybe Brent says similar things behind closed doors with the team. I have no doubt that he probably would, and we just don't film it because we're not out here for clicks. But when Dan Lanning says that, I I watched that and thought, man, I'm so glad he's not our coach. And I and I'm not the one who's like, I want like I want our football team to not cheat and everybody go to class and uh you know upstanding citizens. Like I know it helps you win football games, and I'm pragmatic when it comes to that. Um, at the same time, though, that was just kind of that. I don't know. That just turned me off. Like you're already better than this team. We all know it. I didn't watch it either because it's like I know if I've seen a movie a thousand times, I'm probably not going to watch it if it's on TV. It's like I know how the movie goes. Like it just seemed like such a. I've got an opportunity to do something here. Yeah. To get clicks, and I'm going to do it. And yeah, I mean, just, it was just what disingenuous. Disingenuous yeah. is what I'm probably looking for. Well, there was a whole lot of irony to it and the fact that he's talking about, you know, how his, you know, program, the Oregon program has substance to it and all the stuff behind it. When really, you know, I mean, he was he was taking advantage of the fact that there was going to be all this publicity and all these eyes on on that game because of who was on the other sideline. And he brings in a camera to have, you know, yeah, film this whole pregame speech and all this stuff. Like, you know, come on, man. Like, whatever. He probably woke <laughs> up that morning was like, I got it. I just, and he wrote it down on a piece of shit little notepad. He's like, I got it. Gonna, and and gonna... Oregon is the, you know, the, especially of, of, of our mod, I'll say in modern, you know, since 2000 is that program. It is yeah. the four clicks program. I mean, they were wearing uh, the one reason why I do want to go watch, uh, 
a highlights. I haven't got a chance to watch it. It's just for the uniforms. They had like heat activated logos under helmets and shoes and stuff. I mean, it's just like you that you are just that program. You are the sizzle and no stake program of since 2000. You haven't done it. You haven't gotten across the board. You've beaten the shit out of plenty of bad Pac-12 team. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's just it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I could see Dan Lanning knowing that his team was going to beat the other hell out of Colorado and then needing to say things to say, we need to keep the pressure on, you know, it's like, we yeah. need to keep this going. Yeah. And I saw a lot of people on there being like, Oh no, they're beating a team. Like, what are they doing? Man. It's like their conference. I mean, they're currently conference rivals. They're going to be recruiting. He should, Oh, I would want Oklahoma to beat every team 70 to zero if they could like what? No, like pour it on and you pour it on. And, the best thing I saw out of it was Deion Sanders being like, yeah, they, they beat our ass. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he just took it and said, yeah, we got beat. We're, we're going to try to figure it out and we're going to keep going forward, but it's going to come and we have to take it and keep, keep moving. I mean, that was the part, like he didn't whine about it. He didn't do anything like that, which I think maybe people thought he would have uh, because I mean, there was some quote unquote joy in it. If I guess if you just learned about college football two weeks ago, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It's just, just a really overmatched team playing against a, a really good team. It was Oregon versus uh, Georgia last year. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's yeah, what it if, was. If Brent or Bob Stoops or Barry Switzer had like a pregame video before, like, you know, if Barry had a pregame video before they hung 84 points on Colorado, I'd be like, I'm, Barry wouldn't do that because he, he knows the lay of the land. He knows they're better than Colorado. He just go out there, kick ass, go do your thing. Look good doing it. Move on. Now the other team that we, the other game here that we had that Brady picked, he picked a, a, a stereotypical, like big time game. We got Notre Dame uh, versus Ohio state ended up being uh, really just in my personal opinion, just a complete choke job by Notre Dame uh, in the second half. Now I understand, um, you know, Marcus Freeman comes out saying if it's fourth down, we're going for it. And he did, but he did so by picking like the most conservative, unimaginative play calls <laughs> that you could do it in that point in time. And then the 10 men on the field in the final two plays. But the excuse was we saw it, but didn't want to get a penalty, but there was a timeout and there was a, you know, TV. I, mean, I don't know. It, none of it makes and the, sense. The penalty would have moved the ball half a yard closer exactly. to the line. It's like, well, Hell, yeah, they, they wouldn't they have put almost, time back on nothing. They, they damn near stopped it with 10 men. I mean, I would rather have 10 men on the field for the final play of the game than A&M rolling out 12 men. Uh, in the house of the twelfth man in two thousand six, mm. when we needed a fourth and one, and they're like, yeah. "We got, we got it anyway." But it's like twelve men on the field. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, oh, go, go ahead, Peyton. I was going to, I was going to cue you back up for it. So I didn't really want to talk about the game because, like you, you described it perfectly. It was a choke job on Notre Dame's part. I feel bad for the, the was it a middle linebacker that had that ball in his hands on that final drive for the yeah. potential pick? Like yeah. that's. Yeah, God, that's. Rough. I mean, it would have been a really good play. He had to fully extend, but I mean, the ball hit his hands, and it's like I, I actually felt bad for him, even though I love watching Notre Dame lose football games. Um, also, Sam Hartman, boy, is he a heartthrob. Number number two, <laughs> Ryan Day. <laughs> Ryan Day, this fool. Okay, if you're tough, do it, are you tough if you have to verbally say it? This this motherfucker was about to cry. During a game, and I get like it was emotional, like, oh my God, we won this game. I can't believe it. I'm very emotional. Also, fuck you, Lou Holtz. And this dude almost cried on national TV. And albeit it's NBC, so not that many people are watching it, but like, he almost cried. 
saying that I think his it was team the was second rated game of the, the week. Of the <laughs> like hush, 9.7 million. Hush now, like hush. It's not NFL numbers, right? <laughs> um, no, he almost cried, and it's in, it's embarrassing to me because he's trying to assert himself as some like I'm not Diet Coke Lincoln Riley. I'm not. You know, I haven't like taken a Ferrari that Urban Meyer handed me and slowly turned it into a Honda Civic over the last few years with we've got a bunch of badass wide receivers and a nice running back. But uh, I mean, Michigan has been the better team in the Big Ten and they've proven that on the field, but I'm not going to acknowledge that um, we haven't won a playoff or we haven't won a playoff game. I'm not going to acknowledge that we just beat Notre Dame, who hasn't been. I'm not going to say that they've been an elite program because they haven't, they've been a top 15 program for the last 10 years. They've been a top 25 program. If you stretch that out another 10 years. Um, but I, I don't know that to me was just like really embarrassing and very telling of where Ohio state is as a culture. And, you know, and I'll ask you guys this, cause you're more in tune with big analytical numbers and trends and everything like that. But what what is the state of college football when we we have kind of handed it to like the whiz kid offensive coordinator who then gets the big job at the big school like Ohio State with Ryan Day, Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, now at USC. And we've seen how those teams have performed and what their cultures have all been. And it's just been nothing but we'll get a quarterback, an awesome offense, and go. And it can take you pretty far if you've got the athletes, but I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems like now defenses have completely caught up to to it because I, maybe I'm wrong, but scores have looked like they've been down everywhere unless you're in Seattle and you're Washington and you're just an unbeatable purple machine. But um, I, mean, I, I feel like the offensive whiz kid who gets the head coaching job, I feel like it's all been figured out. And Ryan Day damn near crying you know, saying that his team is actually tough, like how dare you say otherwise, despite the evidence, um, is kind of me look like further looking in that direction of like, are we going to see more of this where defenses are winning and not just at Alabama, not just at Georgia, but just kind of across the board, low scores, no more like innovative offense for the next few years. It's going to be like defense. If that, if, Hopefully I made sense. I've got an idea, and sometimes I suck at articulating it. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere yeah you're talking about the the you know the evan evan wayne of offense versus defense which one's on top uh yes I, I, rob bowen you know uh multiple uh guests of the podcast had mentioned the era of big offense this year at least has kind of fallen back you know there is no LSU 2019 lsu there is no i think 20 Oklahoma there is no 21 uh, Ohio State there is no Alabama you know there is no team that's just like 
the number one offense way and way above. Now, rating-wise, yeah, I mean, ranking-wise, yes, there's a number one offense. But rating-wise, this number one offense is would be like, you know, the sixth of some of those bigger years. And teams have kind of fallen back. And that's why you see, and I believe he had Michigan as like a, a national championship favorite because of that. It's like, well, they don't have to score 50 now. They just have to score 30, you know. And now it's going to, now that's going to change the game. You just watch Alabama. I don't think the system's different. I think Alabama, if Alabama had three first-round wide receivers and a first-round running uh, quarterback, they'd be scoring a whole bunch, but they don't. I think it's just potentially is a talent thing that's happened kind of across the board. Uh, schematically, more and more teams are utilizing the tight front. More and more teams are doing umbrella coverage where it's just getting harder and harder and that you have to be much more of an efficient uh, offense. And that's when you run into teams like... Um, Ohio State, which very early on in Ryan Day's tenure, they ran the ball very hard and very successfully, and he's kind of slowly gotten away from it. Um, I, it's hard for me to say Lincoln Riley's offense isn't efficient, isn't productive, because it still very much so is. The issue with them is, is that uh, they get away from the run game, and then the defense just continues to be just, I guess, like a money laundering uh, situation on, on defense for <laughs> for uh, Lincoln Riley and uh, Alex Grinch. But, Alan, what do you think about that? Do you think it's just the uh, we're going to enter into like an ice age of offense and the defense is going to rule supreme for a little bit? I mean, in a way, kind of. It just seems to me like so many teams have figured out how to, with you know, with those, with the uh, high-powered offenses, how to like manipulate game flow and things like that mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, if they're just sitting back, if you're sitting back there and cover three all game, right? I mean, the the ability to hit those shot plays that you could get, you know, when you were when uh, you know those teams when you're able to get them in man coverage and stuff like that, it's just it's it goes away, and you know you force teams to. Uh, you know, essentially matriculate the ball down the field, you know, take those, you know, five, six, four yard gains and stack them all together. Uh, this being, you know, college kids, the more times you force teams to do that, the more times that they're going to, uh, you know, the chances, the likelihood of screwing up is get, goes up every time. Right. So, I mean, I think that there's, I think that that is kind of has a lot to do with it. I also think one thing to look at too, I think offensive line play, like, across the board is supposedly going like is deteriorated significantly. Uh, and there's just, there's something about that. I think that might also be contributing to this. I mean, you know, I haven't really like thought it all the way through, but you know, I mean, as good as teams, you know, like, let's say Oklahoma's highest flying offense of like 2017 or 2018. Right. Like, I mean, this, you're talking about great skill positions, great quarterback, but I mean, there were a lot of NFL linemen on that, on that group. I mean, that's where any kind of great offense really starts there. You can't, it's very hard if you don't have a great offensive line to play great offense. And we're just seeing so much of that kind of coming back to the pack or, or deteriorating in general. This might be too big and we're not going to have the answer, but it's just kind of a thought that I've had. I wonder how much of this is just, we're finally seeing the effects of, I mean, we played football in 2020, but it wasn't the same. Clearly, like there were a lot of misnomers about the COVID season and really where it stopped was at the high school level. Like how, how much of like bad offense or like subpar offensive line play can be kind of attributed to a bunch of kids in that critical development in those critical development years at 16, 17 and 18, where they just had to 
stop playing and stop weightlifting and stop being on that same program that they would have otherwise been in for a year. Like I kind of wondered at the time, like we're going to see the effects of this in the sport, like three or four or five years after, you know, if it's for hopefully it only lasts, you know, for our purposes for one year. And it kind of did for about a year and a half, but I wonder if this has anything to do with it. Cause I've just, like this happens in college football goes through cycles where you have like two or three elite teams for a decade. And then it kind of becomes a hodgepodge of like, who's who. And then it kind of goes back to the three to four to five elite teams year in and year out. So it's a little bit of that. I've just always kind of wondered like on a bigger societal scale, if it has anything to do with COVID. Yeah. I mean, maybe you know, it's something we've all, that's been talked about, like the, you know, the, the expansion of seven on seven and all that type of stuff. And it's not able to, promote enough offensive linemen or defensive linemen because the game's getting further and further out to the edges. I mean, I, I, I'm just not for sure. It, it, I don't know. It, it's kind of like watching the NFL maybe like two years ago. It's like, oh, there's just no good quarterbacks. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just sometimes it just happens. It's like a funny, weird thing. There's cycles to this stuff that kind of goes through. Uh, but the thing is, uh, I'm very happy Oklahoma's finally, finally remembered is that Hey, defense travels. It's always there. <laughs> you know, it. You know, effort is something you can control. You know, if the offensive, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, you had a weird offensive line game against Cincinnati and had you know Dylan Gabriel left like twenty-one points on the board uh, on the field, but oh, you just basically held another team down on the ground the entire game while it fucked around. <laughs> you know, and that's something I think OU can continue to do. Now, what the what does that? What can they do against like Texas when they have a potential to strike back? Uh, who knows? But I do know against a team like Iowa State that they're coming up. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Oklahoma can just hold them down and figure out stuff. So uh, th that's the thing there. The, the, the game I had on here I want to talk just slightly about, didn't watch much of, but I think it's interesting. Uh, the pack to Oregon State, Washington State, you know, uh, fighting against the dying of the light, uh, these two uh, continuing on, trying to hold on. Somebody had to lose. Somebody had to win. They did it in two very separate ways. Both put up big points, 38 to 35. Uh, both had good yardage. Uh, Oregon State doing it mainly on the ground. Uh, Washington State basically starting the you know need to be pumping up the Heisman campaign for uh, for Ward up there <laughs> for uh, signaling, he's good you know, running their he quarterback is, system. Yeah. He is legitimately he, good. Yeah, and gotten a lot better since last year. Yeah. Yes. Saw, yeah. yeah. Incarnate Word, right? Was it? Was he from? So like obviously I get last year was that major step up in competition uh, and now has been acclimated himself as well. Uh, the Pac-12, Washington, the state of Washington, obviously having um, uh, Washington and uh, Washington State, Penix and and Ward there doing that kind of stuff is is very very strong for that. And the reason why I pick it is that this is a game that maybe what Brady was talking about teams being down, defense going here. This is Pac-12 after the dark, baby. They scored, and they kept scoring, and they're throwing blows back and forth. This was more of that thing. Uh, Oregon State having to making a mad comeback at the end, trying to, you know, uh, what would be considered a garbage time, scoring 21 in the fourth quarter, uh, trying to get closer, wasn't able to close the gap. Uh, DJ not playing that great of a game, but like I said, Oregon State doing the most of their damage on the ground, maybe maybe potentially exposing. I don't know how much you can expose the Washington State teams. You know they're not going to be completely super talented across the board uh, on the rush defense. But that was something that kind of nice to see uh, the pack two, as it were, uh, moving that way. Uh, and then it just sets up for pack 12 to be completely and utterly, I don't know, it seems like they're going to cannibalize them, themselves. I want to bring that up later. Uh, I saw Alan uh, reply back to the uh, the hated cover three guy. 
about the Notre Dame stuff. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Um, I just don't know if it's too early to think the Pac-12 won't beat each other up and Notre Dame can squeeze back in, something like that. But we'll get on that in here in a bit. Uh, I do want to show, so in our preseason, we did a, a full like two-hour podcast doing all of our predictions. I do want to see where our predictions are four games into the season. Uh, so just for me, I'll go ahead and take egg on the face first. Big 12 championship had OU versus Tech. So I don't think Tech is making it into that conference championship game at this point in that, time. That's they're, going south uh, fast. They're too, alive. Man. They've only yeah. have they only have one conference yeah. loss, right? Yeah, I, that's right. They're yeah. alive. Starting quarterback, broken leg, which yeah. they were starting the wrong quarterback. So maybe maybe they get hot. Mm. <laughs> uh, did not work out well for me. Uh, the playoffs I had Georgia, OU, Michigan, and then Clemson. Uh, Clemson bet does not seem to be going uh, too well on that point in time. Uh, offensive players, I had Barnes at 1,300 yards and Sawchuk at 875. Again, that's not looking too great. <laughs> Even if they were getting the ball the entire game, uh, the, the entire time of starters, it doesn't look like they'd built those yards. And then a uh, recently benched safety, I had uh, Pe- Reggie Pearson uh, leading the team in tackles and interceptions, <laughs> and that doesn't seem to be working out well uh, either. Uh, so, Wait, you said Pearson? Yes. I, I thought Man, the safety you... would... Uh, would be a tackling machine for Oklahoma. Went, Keyhole went from burnt orange Keegan to guns up Peyton. Like this is, this is awesome. not good. Not good. <laughs> not good. Um, Alan, let's get your recompense. So you've got Texas, Oklahoma with Oklahoma winning 11 and two still good there. Still good. Mm-hmm. Uh, playoffs. You've got Georgia, Bama, Ohio state and Michigan. Um, I guess still all technically alive, but I don't know how you'd feel about the, uh, the Bama. Not good at that point in time. You would you'd actually wanted to put Georgia, Bama, and LSU, uh, but you couldn't quite pull the trigger on, on three SEC teams. Yeah, just uh, just just two Big Ten and two SEC. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, your player prediction uh, predictions you have Farouk at forty eight catches, uh, seven hundred fifteen yards, and seven touchdowns. So that is potentially on track. Um, he just he's Farouk needs a little more yardage. Catches though, right? He only has like what seven or eight catches on the year really? my assumptions yeah. in conference play is that he may get uh, yeah, yeah cincinnati i don't know about cincinnati He's, being full conference I, play yet <laughs> i hope he gets a lot of touches mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh danny stutzman defensively earlier you said 95 tackles and three sacks you undersold the man you know, undersold right? the man Whew. i mean he is a machine uh brady you had ou texas we had Texas winning the Big 12 championship, so still in line there, 11-2. and two. Your playoff predictions, you had Alabama. Probably not. I'm not going to lie to you. Things could happen. Clemson. Probably not. I'm not oh. going to lie to you. Things could happen. <laughs> then you had USC and Texas. So USC and Texas is still alive. Oh, uh, Gavin shit. Salchuk. You had Gavin Salchuk for 1,200 yards. Then you had Balthroyd for the Big 12 newcomer on defense. Um, I think Allen's probably the one who's mostly shaken up. Uh, shaped up well for his predictions, uh, but I wanted to keep us in line. I'm ashamed um, to have an opinion now. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do the thing where it's like we're keeping ourselves accountable, so we're you know, doing pretty good here. I, um, I'd yeah. probably be in line with Bothroyd um, for newcomer of the year, even though he had a quiet non-conference run. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't know if officials threw their flags and awarded a player, a, a particular sack in the game to which we would have declined it. Bothroyd would have got his uh, game clinching sack. And that would have been kind of the kickstarter to a good little conference run. But, you know, it's, it's, 
things happen. Flags don't get called. Things do happen. I will say, uh, Brady, you had Oklahoma State at seven and five. Allen, you had them at eight and four. I had them at yeah. four and eight. So Ooh. I might be. Th- I had them at five and seven. Sorry. So uh, yeah, they might not even get there. I drank the. I drank the Kool Aid on Mike Gundy going into years where OSU doesn't have any hope or hype. I drank that Kool Aid. I'm a fool. So they're what two and two. So what they got to do the rest of the way for me to make good on that six and two. Yeah, <laughs> that's tough. I'm not gonna lie to you. Well, they you know, I did. I did have them beating OU. So. Oh yeah, there we go. That, that's still on the table. <laughs> That'll be his uh, Bill Stewart game in that in that scenario where it's like he's. I mean, God rest his soul, but. Uh, yeah, not long for this world, Mike Gundy. Oh, they beat OU. Give him a ten year extension. That would be the best. Uh, so now let's talk about our Iowa State preview. So Iowa State comes to Norman, Oklahoma, as we play the 101st rated offense and the 11th rated uh, defense per SP+. Plus. A friend of the pod, uh, pod Bill Connolly, puts that out. Uh, you know, just a small just a small shop over there at, uh, in Connecticut, I believe, is, uh, hosts that uh, information. Uh, but this becomes the second best uh, defense, according to SP+. Plus. Oklahoma will have will play at this point in time these are predictive uh you know these are predictive ratings so they could change but as it stands right now this should be the second best uh, defense they play i believe uh oklahoma will run into a, a defense that again has given them trouble historically ever since they implemented that 335 uh, tight defensive front with the three safety uh umbrella coverage uh moving into it my preview of this is that iowa state is terrible uh it, it pretty much all facets of the game on offense uh, Oklahoma should um, figure something out uh, defensively to hold them down. Uh, but defensively, we should see OU kind of getting some fits and starts as uh, Iowa State looks to take their explos- explosive plays away and see the game being kind of like the Cincinnati game where it's just very frustrating to watch a, uh, a quote-unquote lesser team hang around Oklahoma as long as they do. Um, maybe like in vibes. I think that's what uh, Alan said. If you you know if you if you ran scoreboards by vibes, Cincinnati blew Oklahoma out of the water. Uh, I think it might be something like that, where you feel like Oklahoma should be beating them by a lot more, and it's just not quite happening. Uh, I, I'm just not for sure. Iowa State has the horses at, at this point in time in the program's history uh, in the uh, you know the trend of that coach. That said, Matt Campbell is a good football coach. I think he would look at Cincinnati. He would see some of the off-tackle power stuff Cincinnati did, the quote-unquote gash Oklahoma, and see if they can work their way that way. I'm very happy Oklahoma doesn't have to play Kansas State after seeing those five runs uh, Cincinnati pulled off against Oklahoma when they ran power. Uh, I did not want to see a team just do that to Oklahoma all game long, Uh, so I'm happy about that. Uh, Alan, what do you got for Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma? Yeah, I mean, you kind of you kind of summed it up there in terms of historically how this game has gone. Oh, uh, Iowa State's done a very, very good job historically of making OU kind of play their game, uh, you know, generally kind of bringing it down to the mud. And I, I don't see this being any different, um, you know, looking at it. Iowa State does nothing good on offense. I mean, uh, I'm looking at some of the uh, metrics here. It's all red. Which is uh, very bad. I mean, not just not just light red. I mean, it's dark red everywhere. Um, you know, here you know, they play real slow too. So I mean, possessions will probably be 
uh, low because I'm sure, like you mentioned, they'll play that umbrella coverage for so you to kind of uh, work the ball down the field. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't see a lot of explosive plays here for OU. I mean, I just, if, if Iowa State can figure out a way to manufacture some points, you know, off of a turnover or a special teams play or something like that, Oof. you know, then, then maybe I think the upset is, you know, potentially in play here. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, OU just kind of pulls out a, a, an ugly win. I do not see them covering the uh, 21, 20 and a half, whatever the spread is at now, though. This is actually one of my picks this week for picks trying not to suck. Uh, another uh, you know, feature available to our Patreon supporters. Uh, one, this would be one of them for sure. Brady, Iowa State, Oklahoma. I mean, what are you, what are you thinking about just the stuff? And then we'll, we'll do scores across the board. So when I made the uh, the uh, prediction for the Big 12 championship, if if anybody could remember, I basically was saying like we like the the character arc of OU, the OU football program under Brent Venables cannot win the, the Big 12 championship right now. Like we are just not there yet. We've not earned that. That's not how sports are actually run. You know, like sports are played by the players and coached by the coaches. It's not a story, but, you know, I like to think of these things like that. Um, it, it makes, it makes it a little bit more fun in my head. It makes a little bit more sense to me whenever OU doesn't win or when they do kind of miraculously win a game that they probably should have lost. So with that being said, like if that's how my brain works, I was very, very satisfied, very, very excited about the defense on Saturday against Cincinnati at the end of the day, Cincinnati is not a very good team. And I don't think I mentioned this on the no cap recap, but there was one fourth down. It was fourth and two near mid midfield. It might've been second quarter. Um, I'm trying to think what direction were they going? They were going from where I was sitting um, right to left into the student section. So I think that would have been the second quarter. Yeah, that was the second quarter. It was a fourth and two. Satterfield punted. Now, the way the game was going, especially OU offensively, like OU had the the bad field position, Cincinnati had the advantage there, and they kind of tried to go all in on that. I thought that that was such a signal of we don't have we don't have the confidence in our offense, and so I'm going to apply that a little bit to uh, the defense's performance of. The defense played extremely well, and when they were called upon, they did their job. However, they played an offense that was not really going to test them outside of Emory Jones being somewhat athletic, and we've seen OU's defenses over the years against mobile quarterbacks and how it can not be pretty sometimes. They answered that test, at least. Now, they're getting told how awesome they've been. This team won six games last year, and the reason why they didn't win seven, eight, or nine was because of the defense. And that's even with Dylan Gabriel's bad half quarters here and there. If they just had a defense that could fucking tackle somebody last year, they would have won eight games. They might've won nine games. Like that's, that's the fact of the matter. So that defense, albeit improved, like these are all true. Like this defense is different. They've improved, but they've not handled success. They, they don't know how to handle success just yet. And so I can see them looking at Iowa state going, Oh, this won't be hard. They suck. Their quarterback, I don't know who that person is. Half their team got booted for uh, breaking the law, right? So this will be easy. Plus, I mean, we're badass now. Like, we're not the 
the butt of every joke anymore, OU's defense. I can see them having a comeback down to earth day. Not not a game that's going to show how good they are. That's really indicative of who they are. It's just a bad, I can see them having a bad day. And the only hope for this scenario is OU's offense has to, they've got to score. But Iowa State's going to have a good defensive system. They know how to defend OU. Um, and I'm going to be weird. I could see OU losing this game, and I'm going to predict it. I'm going to say Iowa State. Like, are we doing scores just yet? Let's go for it. Yeah, let's get the hot. Let's get the hot let's score right it. here. 37, 37, 27. I'm going to assume the offense is going to perform a little bit better, but us not knowing who the fucking running back is going to be from game to game, or having the confidence that we could have a guy go for over a hundred, because we know we're not going to give Tommy Walker his his carries. Um, that makes me think. Well, okay, in the event that Dylan Gabriel has allowed miss. We're not going to be able to lean on the running game, especially against a defense that's going to key on that. So um, I hope I'm wrong, and I'm probably going to be wrong because when am I ever right? But I'm picking Iowa State to come in and beat an OU team that's a little bit feeling itself a little bit too much on the defensive side and probably looking ahead to the uh, big game in Dallas the following week. Okay, so uh, just just, just for clarification, you said Iowa State. Is going to score 37 points. Yes. Okay. Making sure I had that written down right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I could see Iowa State winning, but it would be like a much different game. Uh, I want to give my score, then I'll give Allen because he has like, you know, numbers and stuff he does. Uh, I'm going to run by, uh, me, he, Allen, come on, don't eye roll me there. You, you're, the, you're, you're the one who knows what you're talking about. Uh, I have Oklahoma winning 27 to 13, not covering. I think it's an ugly game. That takes a while for OU to, to completely pull away, but they they're in the driver's seat basically the entire game. Uh, maybe it's like thirteen to three until midway through the third quarter or something like that. That's what I have of that. Just be prepared to, I don't know, not a lot of fireworks in this game. Well, well, I mean, whenever OU loses to a team like this, and whenever OU does like in a normal That's season, true. not last not last year, but when they lose to a lesser team. That lesser team has an uncharacteristically good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, no, that's true. In the yeah. event that a, OU... a Heisman quarterback is teleported into whatever team that is <laughs> that week, yeah. yeah, Jake Park's not playing. We got this in the bag. Um, no, in the event that OU wins, kind of like in the manner that you're suggesting, Peyton, like, what's the no cap recap like? Two games in a row where the defense is, you know, I mean. I guess five games in a row their defense is awesome, but two games in a row the offense is like, holy shit, we're going into the Cotton Bowl with this thing. I'm actually, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been converted. If Oklahoma wins 27-13 and it's a frustrating game and they're basically holding another team down on the ground with one arm, I'm, I, I'm fairly pleased. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of, now I would love to see the, you know, if it's, 27-13, and OU scored on a couple, like, two long plays, but, like, the running game's still all kind of fucking around. Maybe I, I'm more frustrated from that perspective, and I'm looking at yeah. Texas going, well, I had them losing anyway, so they're probably going to lose against Texas, but it seems like they'll be able to it, keep Texas from scoring 49. They'll, you know, they'll probably score, like, 31, and Oklahoma scores, like, 17, 20, something like that. Uh, it potentially, because Texas is a very good defense. Uh, Texas offense is not as good as Oklahoma's at this point in time. They have very bad success rates on first and second downs. They live on big ball, you know, on big plays. And if Oklahoma could limit that stuff, then I, 
I don't know. If, if Oklahoma can play, if, if Oklahoma's 5-0 and and they played five teams and basically completely shut down every offense they've ran up against, I'm happy. I, I mean, I'm frustrated, but I'm happy. I don't know about that. I mean, if OU is winning games like 27-13, 20-6 like they were last week. Yeah, getting ready for a uh, Big Ten invite. Yeah, <laughs> if they're winning games like that, but it's because we're controlling the game by running it and we're running the ball yeah. like 45-plus times, then it's like, okay, that's where, that's where the strength of our offense is. It may yeah. not be as exciting or visually pleasing, but like when you've got a great defense – you you become conservative and you play game control and like run the clock and field position. Those things become important instead of just explosive big plays downfield. You take them when you can get them, but they're not like the cornerstone of your offense. But if we're winning 27 to 13, I'm going to assume it's going to be in the same manner that we beat Cincinnati where we're not running the ball particularly well because it's Marcus Major running the football and not the two guys yeah. that we expected to get the ball. And it's not Tawi Walker who every time he – touches the ball a handful of times is like, yep, get him the ball, please. <laughs> and it's, it's also going to be coupled with missed opportunities in the passing game. So that's where I would be upset. But if we won 27 to 13 and we rushed the ball 45 times for like 250 plus and Gavin or Javante looked like the guy that we expected them to, I'm like, no, that's fine. I want to win football games like that, where Iowa state never had a chance, despite what the score looks like. They never had a chance. Allen, Iowa State, Oklahoma, what's your score? Oh, man, I've gone back and forth on this. You know, I mean, I think you know, the the total on this is 47 and a half, which, is, I mean, would have surprised Ooh. me prior to, uh, prior, prior to uh, last week's offensive uh, outpouring there by the Cyclones. I don't know. Man, I mean, to me, this feels something like 21 to 12 or something like that, you know, where uh, – Maybe Iowa State uh, gets, you know, a late touchdown to uh, make things a little bit more uncomfortable than they should be. Um, something like that. I'll, also, let's see what that 21 to 12 Iowa 21 State 12. misses a two point conversion late in the game that, uh, you know, essentially makes it a two score game and OU is able to run out the clock. Okay. I, I, I think that I think we're on the similar mindset at that point in time. Uh, the thing is that I'm holding out hope for. Because Alan, you'd mentioned it. You talked about the uh, the I cannot remember his name, um, the analytics guy talking about like the efficiencies. Like teams are kind of who they are at this point in time to a certain degree. Yeah, so, yeah, Dave Bartu, yeah, Dave Bartu, yeah. Matrix, so the defense yeah. is probably real to a certain degree, or really th within like ninety percent of it will be this or something like yeah, that. I mean, yeah, there's gonna be some some degrade. They're not gonna turn into last year's defense. I think no. we've established that, but they could fall somewhere between this what they've shown this year and that but that could that's such a wide gap that that's where kind of the i think the the fear is my now my conspiracy theory my big homer hat here is that we saw it we've seen it a couple of times OU switches to power they switch the gap blocking on o-line all of a sudden the run game just opens up and then they just don't do it again they just keep going back to zone they keep going back to something they can't do uh at least effectively at, at that point in time my big Big time Homer hat is like they're just and again because I'm talking in circles I apologize Arkansas State Tulsa SMU Cincinnati you know, they're not the, the offensive game plans have not been imaginative they have not been you know something you write home about I mean are they just saving you know keeping every bit of their powder dry for Texas it's like okay now all of a sudden it's like where did all these plays come from and it's like well they didn't need them 
uh, until now that they're playing against yeah. a real football team. So I, I, I think it may, that's my hope. And that's the reason why I say it's going to be a low scoring game for Oklahoma. Cause I just don't see even Oklahoma isn't scoring. If there's keeping Iowa state to field goals, like, you know, cause I have them 27, 13, if they hold Iowa state 13, they're going to win the game uh, more than likely. It's like, then why they don't need to be a matchup. They don't need to put score. You know, it's, I mean, maybe it's how Brent Venables feels about it. It's like, we don't need to score. We just need to score enough to win. Um, he's a defensive coordinator. So maybe that's like that whole, I don't know, rugged man type of look at it. I'm not for sure. I, I, I'd make the, I, I think I've made the argument that last year might've been one of the few years, if not the only year. And like, since the program has been dominant since the late forties, that the recruiting class, the incoming recruiting class was more important than what happened on the field for the future short-term and long-term of the program. And I wouldn't say that that's the case this year. I would say that wins are important. Like this team needs this program, this team needs to win games. And so in most instances, I would have liked a tougher non-conference opponent to really see like where we are. But after last year, like this team just needs to win games. And so while I go into every game and I expect OU to win and I want them to win projecting, you know, towards the end of the year, I'm like, I'm assuming we're going to lose a game or two. I hope not, but I'm assuming that we might, but hopefully it's just a game or two because this team just needs to look at its season after it's over and say, we won 10 or 11 games. We're, we're on track. And as much of a misnomer as it might be because the schedule is quote unquote soft, it doesn't matter. You've won 10 or 11 games. You've done it. Move on with this next recruiting class and then go kick cast in the sec. Yeah. The only way I'm right is if Brent Venables took Ted roof and Jeff Lebby into a room erased every game on the schedule except for one game and said, we have to win Texas. No other game matters. And that's the only way I can be right. <laughs> I do not think Brent Venables operates that way. Uh, yeah. so I'm just not for sure about that. They, they probably just have a really very hard handicapped offense this year. But let's move on to the rest of the games in week five. Uh, Alan, you have Utah, Oregon State uh, at, at that point in time to, to talk about for a week five. What drew, what drew your eye to this? Is it the camerizing aspect of it? Maybe it's his first yeah, game fully it's back? A, it's a, I mean, this is an interesting game to be just in the sense that, I mean, Utah, I'd like to see what they can do with rising, but it's kind of miraculous they've made it this far without yeah. – uh, without dropping one without them out there because if you watched them last week against uh ucla they basically they intercepted uh ucla's freshman quarterback dante moore on the first play of the game took that in for a touchdown uh got another touchdown i forget a little bit later and then i mean just kind of sat on them i mean they yeah. made they made uh moore's life miserable back there um i don't think they're going to be able to do that in this game uh and you know I know that everybody kind of looks, thinks about like a quarterback or, or a star player coming back in and magic, he's ready to go. But I think rising, you know, even if he is ready, uh, it's been so slow kind of getting him up to speed that I wonder if he's uh, going to be uh, that effective. I think that Oregon State's going to win here um, and kind of right the ship after last week, which was a tough loss for them, uh, you know, going on the road. But here in Corvallis, it's also a Friday night game, so that should that yeah. should be nice. Uh, you know, I, I I like the Beavers here. All right, Brady, you've got Kansas, Texas. My assuming is that the the major amount of Texas hatred in your heart has caused you to pick this game. No, actually, I, I'm not really concerned with Texas in this game. I mean, it would be funny if they lost to Kansas because them losing to Kansas is meme is a meme and it's worthy of it. It would just be funny. 
Um, ideally, I want, I mean, I know I picked Iowa State to upset OU, but I want undefeated OU and undefeated Texas. Uh, quick question. If that's the case, is OU number 11 or do they crack the top 10 to make the They matchup? do not crack. There's no way they crack the top 10. Is, is there no way uh, if some shenanigans happen? If they win 70 to zero, maybe. What I mean, what are they? I don't even know what they're ranked right 14, now. 14, 14 right now. Like I mean, maybe they'll be they'll here. Here's here's the thing. Remember in the preseason where it was like, hey, they've got a left-handed quarterback going into a second year under a second-year head coach. What happened the last time that happened with OU? If they're ranked number eleven, because um, I was OU ranked number eleven in two thousand when they played Texas. That I don't know. That would just be funny. I'm not really concerned with Texas in this game. Because I know the challenge they're going to present, they're on paper and thus far in the season, they're the better team than OU, but OU can, of course, change that by beating them, which they've got a chance to do so, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I just don't know how good Kansas is. I know Mm -hmm. how good their quarterback is, but OU plays Kansas um, later this year, and after you know the Cincinnati game, I've kind of said that every game after Iowa State, at least on paper, Iowa State doesn't scare me on paper. I, I made that prediction based solely on weird emotion stuff. But on paper, Iowa State doesn't frighten me, but every game after them frightens me because of what the offense kind of showed us and the lack of the running game has showed us. Kansas frightens me, and I do not want OU's last year in the Big 12 mm-hmm. to have a loss to Kansas. So if Kansas just marches up and down the field on Texas and either wins or has a close loss. Like that's, I don't know. It's just going to make me go, Oh my God, I don't know if this schedule is as soft as we thought it was in the preseason. Cause the three, three of the four teams we avoided are probably by far the worst teams in the conference. Right. I mean, other than Oklahoma state, Texas yeah, tech I mean, has been bad. bad Baylor, Baylor Baylor is Ooh. Baylor is like yeah. group of five, like Sun. They 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 should be in the Sun Belt. That they're a terrible football team. Houston well, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Houston's bad. Yep. It's the David Aguayu factor. <laughs> That's dreadful. Uh, <laughs> Two thousand Red River, Oklahoma's ranked tenth. Texas was ranked eleventh. Oh, okay. Okay. That's that's the oh, score yeah. there. Oh yeah, Texas wasn't. They they lost. They had lost like the game right uh, before. I'm assuming it says they're three and two after that game. Oklahoma's five and zero after that game. Obviously, uh, it, to to question your to answer your point earlier, could oh you get in the top ten? They would need Notre Dame to lose, LSU to lose, USC to lose, and like one other team to lose. Well, <laughs> so Notre they, Dame yeah, Notre Dame can very well lose, but if yeah. Notre Dame Utah, loses, yeah. is Duke just going to jump OU? Uh, that's the game I picked. Uh, I think Duke is going to. Uh, yeah, just kind of beat the living hell of Notre Dame. Uh, uh, that's all I have on it. I think Notre Dame is an emotional. I'm, this is my sports rider hat. Notre Dame is an emotional letdown. They had a three-game season uh, to do the things they wanted to do. Duke was not on that list of three games they needed to play against. That was Clemson, USC, Ohio State. They barely lose Ohio State in a gut-punching way. If they would have just lost to them normal, I think they would have been that this would have been fine, but I think losing last second walk off that way, uh, it either responds in two ways. They try to press way too hard or they're just emotionally flat. If Freeman keeps them even kill, I'm going to start changing my mind about him as a coach, but I just think Notre Dame has got either too high or too low emotionally coming out of Ohio State game. And I think Duke is, I mean, Duke's looking for skins on the wall. They, they got a well good football team. team. They just beat Clemson, you know, a couple of weeks back, they you know they they're watching 
Florida State try to lose to Boston College. You know, I mean, this is like oh, this is this Duke has a chance to be the be, be the Big Twelve teams that beat Oklahoma last year. It's like beat this team, put Notre Dame's scalp on the wall, <laughs> and, and celebrate about it. You know, it's like this is a chance to do it right now. I can say that I'm Native American. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think that's kind of where that is for that part in time. I'm probably on an island there because Notre Dame has a very good defensive and offensive line. Uh, I just like Elko, and I think Duke's got a good – that's the better quarterback. Who's their quarterback uh, again? Uh, Riley Leonard. Leonard, I Riley Leonard. Yeah. I think the Real... potentially future USC quarterback. <laughs> no, I was going to say – I was going to ask your boys on the solid verbal basically – I mean, heavily alluded to, he's going to be Alabama's quarterback next year. I mean, is there a connection or something? No, no. I think it's the, uh, Alabama doesn't have a quarterback on the roster. <laughs> I think that's yeah. probably that's I mean, probably yeah, it. Alabama will be playing a freshman next year if it's not a transfer. So, right. and you, I, and you, yeah. Okay, oh, go, go ahead. No, go no, ahead, no, no, no. I, I was uh, just gonna, I was just gonna say, you think Riley's going to play for uh, Alex Grinch led USC when when Lincoln Riley is at the NFL? <laughs> oh, that's different. That's a different, yeah. that's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Garrett Riley coached. Yeah, indeed, right. No, I think the the thing about this game is to put on my my sports writer hat. Too many people are saying Duke is going to win this That's game. That's true. That's <laughs> like, true. That's true. I, this, the, the trendy underdog to me. Uh, I don't know. I get it. I get the emotional letdown aspect for Notre Dame, but something something tells me that the Irish are going to uh, hold firm here and right the ship. Yeah, Notre Dame uh, minus five and a half. So, I mean, even just that, I mean, you think historically, uh, Notre Dame being a five and a half favorite over, over Duke. Uh, I mean, last time we all got kind of weirded out uh, about, you know, the underdog being talked too much was last year, Kansas State, uh, the dark horse for the back, uh, Big 12 championship. And lo and behold, they got it figured out. Now they obviously TC was the team that went to the playoff, but Kansas State pulling out the actual uh, upset there in the uh, uh, championship game. Uh that covers us on the football games. There's one thing I did want to talk about because we're now entering into the part of the football season I cannot stand. We're talking about the playoffs. <laughs> Our team's eliminated from them. Uh, I can't remember his name uh, because I block his name out. The No Eyebrows guy from uh, Cover 3 I did a cool little uh, uh, Twitter video about saying how Notre Dame's already dead in the water and there's no chance they can play in a playoff. They're basically done. They need to fold the program. Uh is it is it just way too soon to be figuring that stuff out? I mean, Pac-12 has like five teams that seem good. They could all round-robin each other <laughs> and knock each other out of competition. If Penn State's actually good, that, that causes drama for the, the Big Ten. The SEC seems generally kind of down, dependent on how you feel about Georgia's inability to completely put the foot on somebody's neck. Um, ACC... What happens if Florida State gets complacent? I mean, I don't know. It just seems like it's way too soon to say Notre Dame is completely out of it at this point in time, or any team is completely out of it at this point in time. When we've seen this happen all the time, I mean, we're Oklahoma fans. We're used to Oklahoma losing early and everyone saying there's no chance they make the playoffs, uh, and then they make it uh, at the end of the season uh, you know, by the skin of their teeth. Uh, but, Alan, do you think it's just too early to talk about this, or is this like a Notre Dame-specific thing because they won't have that all-important 13th data point. I mean, I think for me, if you're asking me what I think about Notre Dame's chances, I'd say that, yeah, I think that that 13th data point is going to end up mm -hmm. looming pretty large at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, I mean, 
I, I'm with you in the sense that this is also stupid because you, it, none of you can't. People say here, oh well, if the SEC one loss champ, they're in. How the fuck? Who do you? How do you know? Like, what if? What if there are yeah. ten undefeated teams out there that you know somehow make it through? I mean, this is all so dumb because it all depends on what everybody else does. Like this, this idea that there are these maxims that like the playoff committee goes by or something like that in terms of we need an SEC team and we really respect the SEC and blah blah blah. Like, it's all so dumb. Like. Yeah it's there they are very predictable uh in terms of how they end up voting slotting teams and it really all depends on what everybody else does relative to you so like i i mean i think that bud is probably right about that his point about notre dame um but like it, i mean it's way too early to say something like that yeah i think bud may be right about it because i don't think notre dame in that game showed that they can play explosive enough offense to score enough points to win those games. So that means they'll probably lose another game. Uh, I think that's where he gets potentially right at just talking about the caliber of the team Notre Dame has, but if, if, if Notre Dame goes 11 and one, they're going to be right there. I mean, it's like, it's they're, they're, be their, the hand, their problem will games. be, yeah, their problem will be that they'll be being compared against likely yeah. a lot of teams that are, 13 and 0 or 12 and 1 and yeah. they'll be 11 and 1. That's yeah. I mean it, that's really the issue. Yeah. All right. Uh Brid, you got anything to say about that? You think it's you think the we're cuz again, it's we're already starting the uh, playoffs playoffs cuz when did the first rankings come out? The week 7? Something like that. So we're very very close. Yeah, maybe first first yeah, first week in October or end of or probably I mean uh, November or maybe end of October. Okay. Yeah, no, I remember the first time it was like Mississippi State was like ranked number one or something like that. Uh, uh, but what, what do you think about it, uh, Brady? We're walking into the, is your team about to, going to make the playoffs part of college football, which I think has kind of sucked the joy out of the sport? Well, I mean, I think it just plays into the overall fun of the sport because, I mean, it, it's basically it's basically saying like what we always say, the reason why we love college football, every game matters. And the reason why we want to make those declarative statements this quickly is because Alabama's lost. So they're done, right? Because that game really mattered that they lost. It's like, well, no, it's a very, even though we kind of joke that college football is here and it's gone in the blink of an eye, it's still a very long season and th a lot of things happen. And OU fans should be very experienced with that, where we've lost a game in the season and thought the world was coming to an end. And then they, rebounded and won and then found themselves back into the national title hunt late into November. So it can very well happen. I think where a lot of the questions are coming from, at least right now is man, the sec is just something's wrong. And the PAC 12 has all these awesome teams and that's not normal. And um, Michigan is kind of fucked around the ACC Clemson has fallen off. And so it's Florida state, but they kind of fucked around too. Georgia, even though they, they look, seem like the most talented team, they've, they've kind of fucked around too. And they don't really give me the confidence of a team that can just go undefeated. Um, they're going to play talented teams in conference that know how to beat them, or at least on paper. And that might come back to bite them in the ass. So what happens if Georgia has one loss, you know, then it really throws everything into chaos. So um, Texas, same thing in the big 12, like they're good. I don't think they're undefeated good. So 
there's just a lot to look forward to, but I think we as human beings, we want to make like declarative statements and be done with certain teams so we can take them out of our brain and worry about, you know, a fewer, no, a, a lesser number. Now I will say I'm going to completely become a hypocrite right here. If Oklahoma gets like handled by Texas, they can go, they can go 11 and one. They're not making it in. I mean, they've got, they have a one game season. I mean, they'd have to then beat Texas yeah. in the conference. That they could, that's the thing. They could go yeah. 12 and they'd one to, and yeah. then be, I mean, and one, then you're in there. But if you play one good team and you get kind of shellacked by them, it'll be, they'll be treated like the 21 Oklahoma team where it's like they kept winning, but they just weren't being, people are like, no, 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 <laughs> no, we're not taking you serious. Uh, I think what OU still having to deal with that right now. Uh, but that's way too early to talk about that. We'll be uh, dealing with that as the uh, playoff uh, rankings come out eventually, whenever that is. Uh, but until then, guys, make sure you give us a five-star rating. You like and subscribe. You share stuff. You talk to your mom about the podcast. They, they're they're going to want to hear about it. You know, Do not talk about your fantasy football team. Talk about through the keyhole. Have fun <laughs> with us. Um, <laughs> visit uh, Vanessa House Brewery. A uh, great time to have uh, fun all the way around. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktail in Norman. And then, hey. If the liquor cabinet's getting a little short uh, on stock, hit up the spirit shop in Norman. They're going to deliver. Um, I think the age range of our stuff is right in line for the the, the spirit shop. So, and you know what? Go, even go if it's not get, even if you're not getting short on liquor, you yeah. can always use more, right? Yeah, you can always use. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't go bad. Yeah. You can just hang on. Yeah, to it. I mean, Dylan Gabriel's going to miss a few more throws this year at the very least. So, yeah, you could always stock up. You're going to need it. Uh, but the guys, thank you so much for listening. For myself, for Matt, for Alan, for Brady, for all the Patreons. Patrons, let me say that better. Boomer! Sooner. Hey, there we go. Thank you. The thank Spirit you. Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store.